0: Hello, everybody, and welcome to another edition of Network Classics, PTSM, and uh, we've got a a great watch-along to do here today. Uh, I was involved in many, 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 many of these shows, and uh, I'm sure you remember back in the day, from the 80s and the uh, early 90s anyway, uh, the WWF Superstars... Uh, show, which uh, used to be before that, was the uh, WWF Superstars of Wrestling, and they had to change that uh, after there was a, a legal dispute, which, you know, the WWF at the time uh, had a lot of those going on, and even as I mentioned, WWF, as you know, eventually uh, their uh, battle with the World Wildlife Fund um, would force them to change the name of the whole company to WWE, World a wide Entertainment, um, a World Wrestling Entertainment, I should say, and uh, because remember, the first one was World Wide Wrestling Federation, WWWF. Anyway, uh, that was uh, a little note to this, though, is that they did have to change the name from uh, uh, WWF Superstars of Wrestling to WWF Superstars. Uh, they lost that suit, but it was no big deal because uh, they were roaring still then in 92. Uh, Things would change Uh, after that, but it was a very, very popular program, along with uh, Wrestling Challenge, as you know, that was uh, a show that came on every week with Bobby and Gorilla, Uh, that was the second show, and then, of course, the first one with uh, Vince and several different hosts. Uh, Jesse Ventura was, of course, uh, one for a long time, but then then they had kind of a host of of hosts, (laughs) I should say, that would come in and uh, fill in. Uh, This particular episode that we're going to do, WWF Superstars from April 18th, 1992. And it featured Vince McMahon uh, hosting it, along with Mr. Perfect. Now, at this point in time, Mr. Perfect, uh, he had uh, been dealing with some injuries. I didn't know if he could really uh, work in the ring. So he was uh, doing a lot of different things uh, around the uh, television studio. And also, uh, you know, doing some manager duties, at ringside, uh, because they really liked Kurt, and he uh, he was a great performer. You know, he, whether or not uh, he was in the ring or out of the ring, so it was uh, really great to have Mr. Perfect there with Vince. He did a great job, I, I thought. And uh, this episode was in uh, Wings uh, Stadium or Wings Arena in Kalamazoo, Michigan. And uh, you know we're going to see when we get into this that uh, it was a pretty packed house. So I was thinking, you know, um, geez, how many people did that arena hold? And uh, I found out it was just over 5,100 people, which was a perfect-sized arena for the show because, you know, you didn't have to have 10,000 people. You didn't have to have 20,000 people when you had a crowd and the way that the WWF, uh, you know, were able to work the cameras and, of course, uh, do camera angles and when they had a packed house like that, like that, there it, it was a lot of excitement in that building. Um, now, when we used to do these TV tapings, and I think I've discussed uh, them before with you, um, you know, it was a very, very long evening because they would tape these every three weeks, and uh, we would do a couple of days of taping. One day would be superstars, the next day would be uh, challenge, but... They had to get in all the other business as well, all the dark matches. And if you remember what Superstars and Challenge, what ty- kind of shows they were, which I will tell you, uh, were basic promotion shows. You didn't see, uh, you know, uh, superstars uh, very rarely going up against one another. Uh, you saw these guys that uh, they wanted to profile the talent, and uh, that's what they would do they'd bring in these jobbers. Uh, Some were better than others, some were actual names uh, of note, but for the most part, they were not, uh, certainly not guys that you would see uh, above a mid-carder, in many cases, not even on the card. But uh, this was really a way to get people to come to the house shows. Now, that is where they made a lot of their money, from those gates. That's why they did so many of those house shows back in the day, because That's exactly how the boys were paid, how the wrestlers were paid, and uh, they got a percentage of the gate. Now, (laughs) what that gate might have been, I don't think they ever knew, Uh, but that's the way it was supposed to work. They would get a percentage of whatever the house was, Uh, and, and you know, at the time, these guys were making a lot of money. The thing that was just so awful about it was the fact that they had to do so many of these house shows. And I've talked about it before. These guys would do, you know, they'd be on the road for weeks and weeks at a time. And uh, rarely getting home. And even when they did, when they did get a break, it might be for four days. They would basically go home and do their laundry and sleep. Say hi to their kids and uh, see their wives. And then uh, be out, you know, back on the road for a number of weeks. And they were doing, uh, you know, six or seven shows a week. Uh, some weekends, they would be doing double shots. If they were in the East, sometimes they would be uh, you know, at the uh, the Garden in the afternoon, uh, Madison Square Garden in the afternoon, and then maybe at the Boston Garden that night. It, I mean, it was just an insane schedule, an incredibly difficult way to live. But these guys knew they had to strike when they could, when they were popular. And one thing that was very true about professional wrestling, and it's never really changed, is that you were basically uh, a one man business or a one woman business a one person business I should say because uh, that's how it was they had these contracts that really weren't worth anything I mean if they wanted to get rid of you they certainly could so you worked as much as you possibly could and made as much money as you possibly could during that that period of time now some uh, you know had a, a tremendous run they were there with the WWF for many years Others, if they lasted a year, that was awesome. But still during that time, they made good money. And actually, after having worked in the WWF, that did bring you some notoriety and you could work in other uh, organizations that were still in existence at the time. Vince hadn't really cleaned house on everybody. I mean, of course, he had taken over, uh, you know, much of the business and would go to these towns and, uh, you know, uh, take over the city with professional wrestling, but there were still other organizations out there and you you could work. But uh, this was a really strange time in the business. Now, if you think back, we're talking 92, this is when everything started to change. Uh, Business wasn't tremendous, uh, but you'll see here, this was a good house. Uh, But at the same time, all these things were in the background. You had Vince being uh, dogged by the federal authorities, uh, there was a lot of talk out there. I mean, they were just, they were trying to get him, And of course, with all of the uh, the steroid trial off in the distance and they were deposing a lot of uh, wrestlers at the time, uh, getting them to come in and, and uh, trying to get them to flip. And it was, it was a, a very stressful time for Vince. And it was, uh, as I said, the business wasn't great. I remember we started to notice things around the, the uh, television studio. I remember one day they took out the... Um, the water cooler, you know, it was just like, really, we're saving a few bucks there. But you know, it was a, it was a, it was a very strange time in the, uh, in the business and 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 with the WWF. And so, um, a lot was happening, but you'd never know it from what they the product they were showing on TV. And there were still some really great superstars with the uh, WWF before the mass exodus to the WCW. So um, it was, you know, this was a great show to. You know, to profile here now. Getting back to uh, what was with these shows and what they do with superstars of wrestling, um, WWF superstars, and of course, Wrestling Challenge, were these were just big promotional tools. And the format of the show was that you would put your big names out there—the ones you wanted people to come to see at house shows. And these guys would come out and do their shtick, and they would uh, just squash. That's why they're they're called squash matches for a reason. Uh, They would just destroy whoever they put into the ring with them. They wanted to show how dominant they were, and then they would, uh, you know, might have a few run-ins or some uh, superstar to come in to taunt that guy, and then, uh, you know, of course, we'd have interviews. Uh, In this one, you're going to see uh, Gene Okerlund interviews the Ultimate Warrior. And, uh, you know, so they did have a few things going on in these. Now, another thing to note in uh, in this one, and, and I'll point it out when we start watching it, is, you know, you see the big open to these shows. And you see Vince and Mr. Perfect, and they would do this, we had this gigantic psych. You know, we get, what a psych is, it's this, this big wall that was a, and this is when, you know, chroma key, I think they called it back then. Um, they would be able to key video on this gigantic, green wall it was just this big gigantic wall and they would do these shots these wide shots of the crowd uh, at these arenas and they would pan down just to the crowd well the reason they did that is that you would be able to put Vince and Mr. Perfect in this case in front of that screen and make them look like they were at the arena doing this live to tape I guess we could say and it w- it worked. It, at the uh, at, at that point in time, man. It was it was pretty cool that they were able, they had this technology, and were able to do that. And so they wouldn't do the matches. They wouldn't record play by play of these matches because they at these TV tapings they would do god endless number of matches. They would just tape everything, bring it back, and then when they put the show together, which was you know an hour long. About forty-five minutes long when it came down to, with, you know, adding the commercials and everything, and then once it was together, they would put, uh, you know, Bobby and Gorilla in a, in the booth that we had at the TV studio, and they would play these matches, and they that's where they did the play-by-play. So they did the same thing with Bobby and Gorilla. They would do this open where it looked like they were at the arena. They weren't. They they were well, they were there, but they were not doing these opens there. They did it later when they figured out what they were going to do with the show. Uh, you know, they had an idea going in when they did the matches, but they didn't know how they're all going together. That's what I'm trying to say here. So in this case, you'd see, you're going to see Mr. Perfect and Vince in front of that screen. So there's a little tidbit there, and you'll see these as we continue to do superstars. Uh, the event center was also in there, and you see uh, the, the, the different times that I come on. Now, this was another thing that was great about these promotional shows. Okay, they would have holes in these shows that were uh, timed out that they would be, I think about three minutes long, and we would do three of them. There would be three different breaks in these shows. And so I would come in and I would say, "Hey everybody, uh, if it you know, in this case, it's what would be one of the general shows. It was not plugging a show, but it would just be what we called um, you know, uh, a generic a generic uh, event center where I'm not really plugging a specific venue. I'm just plugging talent, which you'll see in these. But the reason that we have those holes, because you could plug any venue, a a specific recorded event center for, say, in this case, let's say I was plugging Madison Square Garden that was going to be taking place that Saturday. Well, I would do a three-minute event center, three times it would appear, in uh, Superstars, and I would be specifically telling everybody you know, when the event was happening, what time it was happening, and who was going to be on that card, and then we would have uh, Superstars in these interviews that would be uh, talking about that event. That's how it worked. So it was really, it was a brilliant way to do these shows. I mean, it was a brilliant way to promote these shows. Okay? So... What do you say we get to this uh, this episode of uh, WWF Superstars? And as I mentioned, it is the episode that happened, uh, or, or I guess aired. I think these are the air dates they have up here. But it's WWF Superstars, April 18th, 1992. Okay, and if you uh, do not already have this queued up, uh, what you do is you go to the network, and then you go to in-ring, And uh, you scroll down until you see uh, WWF superstars. And once you get to that page, go all the way to the bottom. I think it's the last episode. And you click on that, okay? And uh, what you'll do is uh, just cue it up. Um, At my uh, counter right now shows three seconds in. So you want to get right there as close as you can to the beginning of that. And we're going to let it roll. And then uh, I'll just... uh, I'll just tell you what I think was going on then and uh, add a few things that uh, come to mind. But uh, I think it's going to be fun to watch this one. So uh, I don't know if you had to pause at this point, but if you do, go ahead, get it all queued up, and then come back to me, and what we'll do is I will count you down, three, two, one, and and say play, okay? And then when I do that, off we go. All right. Go get it done. I'm waiting. And you're back. Okay. So I'm assuming we're all queued up here, and we're going to let it go. So here we go. Ready, ready. Here we go. Three, two, one. Play. And there's the open. Start out, of course, with the Hulkster, and look at now look at all these superstars we had then. They had a really good group: Roddy, Sid, Undertaker, Hulkster, IRS, Typhoon. And then, uh, oh, there's the Bulldog, more Sid, Owen. Wow, look at this lineup. So, and of course, the Ultimate Warrior and Roddy, and even Flair. So this was ahead of its time, folks. Look at that. Isn't that great? And, uh, of course, Vince starting it out with that gravity voice. Okay, do you see that? See the sweep down? They're not there at the arena, guys. That was at the studio in Stamford. I love Mister Perfect. And this is actually wasn't a bad open, you know. This was, uh, I don't know who wrote it, but it was pretty good. Easter egg, the warrior on, get it. <laughs> Excellent sell there by Vince. All right, and here comes Vince. How did Vince never lose his voice like forever talking this way? Money Inc. There's uh, Ted DiBiase. Ah, uh, Terry. Carry Von Eric. Brett the Hitman. Hart. LOD. There's Paul Ellering. Ellering guys. As I mentioned, a special interview with The Ultimate Warrior. Ding, ding, ding. These guys are looking good. Legion of Doom. Joe Laurinaitis and Mike Hegstrand. It's just a shame to uh, think back that these guys were just so incredible. Look at them, and you know these guys. They spent uh, hours and hours in the gym. Now, not saying they didn't get some help somewhere along the line. Dwayne Gill and Barry Hardy. Now, I don't know if you remember these guys, but uh, you know they were they were jobbers of note. I mean, they did uh, well on the uh, you know the independent circle circuit. But uh, you saw Paul Ellering at ringside there. Look at just—I mean, this always just blew me away. Oh man, that—that—that that, that had to hurt. But you t- look at the, the the incredible strength that uh, those guys had. Beverly Brothers. Oops, couldn't say that today. The big shoulder block by Hawk. Now, see, this was, as I said, it's all about promoting. And uh, they were going around, uh, and they were, at this time, dancing with the Beverly Brothers. And, of course, the genius was their manager at the time. But this is how it worked, you know. Wasn't politically correct. Oh my God! See, then they would just destroy these guys at these. Jeez, uh, look at that! And 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 Joe had, had, uh, admits to this at this point. But that's that's what they were supposed to do. I mean, there was. Look at this. This is not. Oh, belly to belly. But that's what they were there to do, and it was just to uh, show people just how devastating they were. And these guys going in knew it was. Uh, it was not going to go well, I should say. And Dwayne Gill, uh, as I said, was, uh, you know, he was a, a name of note at the time. They wrestled on the independent circle as uh, a team called the Lords of Darkness. And if you remember, Barry Hardy, also had a run as execu- executioner number two. All right, here's the big finish. And man, you, you always had to think that uh, when you're sitting up there waiting for him to come off the rope, you're just saying this is this is not going to go well. <laughs> and and pretty much they you know what they say is just let it happen because if you fought that, you were probably got not going to land right. But they knew where to hit you, and over they went. Right out of the canvas, so these matches were relatively short, <laughs> right? What was that I think that was two minutes and eighteen seconds all right now here's here's some more now, what are we gonna do to uh continue promote the w w f well, insert this it's an update, make it look official and mean gene, hey. Okay. Oh, Gene was so good, wasn't he? I mean, my God. Uh-huh. Oh, look at this, Yeah. They called it Sci Texting. Did you see that? Sci Texting. <laughs> this is pretty clever, though, don't you think? You know, this is before people really knew about Photoshop. We didn't. uh... uh... Mm hmm. Sorry, I get caught up in watching Gene. I can't really. I I just love the way his delivery. (laughs) See? Now, this is another. Look what we're doing here. We're also selling Coliseum Home Video. Available this Thursday. This is great. But you know it was all like I said it's all a promotional tool and this stuff was entertaining though. I mean they're they're giving you these Oh boy. It is mayhem, isn't it? Yeah. Mr. Perfect gets his shots in and everybody goes <laughs> <laughs> so these these shows you know we we did this where they did they plugged in all these things that were entertaining but you you didn't watch this to for the matches So we had the, all these little ways to put stuff in there. Now that was an update, and uh, still to come a special interview with the Ultimate Warrior. But then, of course, we've got the event center on the way as well. So as I said, that you know we had to plug these holes. They had they would be black holes otherwise. So either they put in whatever the city was, wherever these tapes were going to, and they would send these out to people, uh, you know, stations that they would air them. And so it had to be a particular whatever the market was, that tape would go to that particular city, uh, that particular television market. And uh, and as we move on here, you got uh, Repo Man, Barry Darso. And uh, this, of course, was after the demise of Demolition, Axe and Smash. Which was, uh, you know, I, that that was, I, I just hated to see that happen. I, I just thought they were such a tremendous tag team. And, uh, you know, right up there for me. And, and I guess maybe I did have some bias because, uh, you know, they were pretty much a WWF product. And, uh, you know, LOD, of course, Road Warriors were fantastic. But I just thought that Axe and Smash were great. I mean, it was, uh It worked. And they, uh, you know, Barry was still a part of uh, the WWF. They had, to, they had to find him a gimmick, but it was never the same really for him again. I mean, if you look at his list of gimmicks that he had over the years. Uh, Barry had, a, God, an endless number of, of gimmicks that uh, he worked throughout his career. And he was, just, he was just a good hand, as they say. I mean, the guy was great, great in the ring. Uh, Taking on uh, Chris Hahn here, uh, another super jobber that would come in. Enhancement talent, as refer to them now. And I don't know, I'd love to hear what you guys think about uh, Mr. Perfect's commentary he never got uh, much notice for it, but I, I thought he did a great job. I mean he was just always you know such a great heel. But you never really hear anybody talk about uh, you know Kurt's commentary uh, not up there with teams, I guess maybe because he never really teamed with someone long enough. he kind of was was there and could be you know sitting next to anybody really. Of course, this match goes quickly. So I guess at this point, uh, Barry didn't have a big angle going with anybody because this was basically just to show him off. They, don't, they didn't have a, any kind of talk about who he was going up against. And this is where he'd kind of you know move down. He was still very popular when he'd go to uh, Towns, but more a mid-carder. Um, from that point. I don't know how over Repo Man ever really got, you know? Okay. Look at that youngster. My God. (laughs) The Cunning Superstar. Superstar. Okay, see how I would do that, and this was a generic, as I said, and you're going to see boss man here basically just it's just him promoting boss man. okay? So yeah, I'm watching. I'm watching nothing. I don't. I didn't see that. Might just. <laughs> Everybody has asked me. Really got to see those. What was with all your looks off camera? Because that was my deal. I was watching. I was, uh, at least you thought I was. Okay. So we just saw the boss man, and then another one of my favorites, Rick Martel, who I thought was. Uh, he was a great worker too. I I love Rick. But see, you guys understanding what's going on here? These are what they call generics. They're not talking about a particular match, a particular storyline they got coming up. But when I would do something for a specific city, if Rick was on here, he'd be talking about somebody he was going up against, whoever it might be. Uh, you know, boss man would be doing the same thing. Um, what had happened before this, before we did event centers, is, uh, you know, Gene would go to these arenas and he would do these really, they would have to do specific events interviews that would last like two and a half minutes long to fill these holes and then the rest would be graphics or whatever but it was just ridiculous now what the the brilliance of the event center is that we could move we could add all these moving parts okay so that was the first of three um, event centers that uh, appeared in these shows unless they've cut them out of these i haven't seen but that's what we usually there were three superstars um, uh, event centers as there were Three uh, wrestling challenge ones, and so we would. Uh, now this was this is interesting here, but uh, that's how the event center worked. I'll get. I'll talk more about it as we go. I believe that was a nails. I think that was nails. See, that was how they started to tease. That whole, yeah. So, did you guys notice there, too, uh, that the voice, they, they, uh, they enhanced that with, uh, you know, uh, electronic equipment, which I thought was kind of dangerous to do because eventually this guy was going to have to get in front of a camera and they wouldn't be able to change his voice or they, it'd have to always be done in post. <laughs> you know? But it was effective. All right, coming out now is Brett the Hitman Hart, who was the Intercontinental Champion at the time, as he's going to face uh, Tom Bennett, if anybody remembers that name. But someone else that uh, the Hitman was going to take apart, showing off his dominance in the WWF. And, uh, you know, I want to also give credit here. Uh, I've got notes that we've put together on these uh, episodes, and the sources for this one is uh, uproxx.com, U-P-R-O-X-X.com, and blogofdoom.com, blogofdoom. So I want to thank those folks for uh, supplying some of the, the information we've got here. And uh, not that they specifically did that for primetime, guys. It's just that they've they've put notes out on these. Uh, they've watched them, of course, and I just want to make sure they get credit. So Brett the Hitman Hart here taking on Tom Bennett, who doesn't have uh, much of an arsenal here to offer up against the Hitman, as you see. And Bret Hart getting done what he's supposed to do here. But uh, as we've talked about many times, he can make anybody look good. If he wanted to make Tom Bennett look uh, really good, he could do it. But that isn't what the mission is here. This is to show why he is the intercontinental champion. Okay. All right. So here we go. It's like I was talking about. And there she is, Sensational Sherry. A woman uh, deserves a lot of credit for what she accomplished in the world of professional wrestling. Uh, Of course, tremendous uh, what she accomplished with the WWF. I mean, think about what she did crossing these lines. You know, women were not involved in these major storylines at all uh, prior to people like uh, Miss Elizabeth and uh, Sensational Sherry, but Sensational Sherry could also work. I mean, she she could hang in there with the best of them, and if they didn't give them everything they had, uh, she would be pissed. Uh, Bret Hart makes quick work, steps in with a the sharpshooter there and wraps up Tom Bennett, but you see what was happening here. See, this is what they would do they to push a big uh, upcoming uh, storyline here. They were, of course, had plans for Shawn Michaels to challenge Bret the Hitman Hart for the Intercontinental Championship and for people to see this because this was going to be happening in cities near you, okay? So they would say, for example, you just saw uh, Bret Hart and uh, they inserted Shawn Michaels talking about the Hitman. Well, I would probably come out of this and the first thing I would talk about for whatever city it was going to be, if it was particular where they were going to be, Uh, on the way to, they would have the interviews with Bret Hart and they'd have Shawn Michaels. But of course, as I mentioned before, this is the generic and it was just another opportunity for cities that we weren't running shows in to see uh, the superstars, just to show off uh, who they were and also fill that hole. And you know, uh, the story here with uh, the Mountie, because uh, Ray Rougeau uh, did not want to, he he was done. You know the Rougeau brothers. He wanted to take a break from professional wrestling. He had invested well, and at the time he was he didn't want to continue doing it. So uh, Jacques certainly did, and uh, that was his new gimmick. And as you also may know, he he pissed off the real Mounties, <laughs> so he wasn't really allowed to uh, to uh, do that gimmick when he went to Canada which was tough because he was a Canadian. So Canadian Mounties didn't quite get it. And here's my favorite pals, the Bushwhackers. Didn't matter what they said, right? (laughs) Bloody lovely, tell your mother. Gotta love it. Mate. Oh, come on. Don't you love these guys? Especially when they licked you. It was uh, fabulous, right? Okay. Why am I not wearing a WWF tie? Huh. That was always kind of standard issue. You had to wear your WWF tie, too. You know, you see on the jackets there, we're still wearing the WWF logo. You saw that with uh, Vince's suit, the three-piece suit. That uh, that was a big phase of his. And he had the, before uh, he had the powder blue suit. Well, he had a whole collection of them. He had the powder blue, which he really liked. He wore that a lot. Okay, now here's one of the vignettes. I love these vignettes. We did some really good stuff. They did some really good stuff, I should say. Hmm. And whose kid that was? Who? Eh. Uh. <laughs> you know, and <sighs> that guy—he was so talented. I don't know why uh, he never really took off in the WWF. And it was an example of what you'd see. And Berserker, uh, running wild in the WWF. But, you know, like somebody like Crush always kind of, uh, to me, I don't understand why it just never happened. I remember they tried to do that, uh, you know, kind of that transition when Bill Eadie supposedly was having the uh, heart issues, which they found out it was some, uh, something to do with fish in Japan. I don't know, shrimp? I don't know. But anyway... Um, he wasn't have he was having some health issues, and they wanted to continue with demolition, and that was the idea that uh, you know, Crush was supposed to come in, and uh, you know, and and be a part of that, and it just didn't didn't work. It was uh, you know, and which goes to show you how important it was for who those personalities were, right? That um, that when they worked, they worked. When they didn't they didn't and that was that was an example and i really hated to see the demise of uh, demolition but that's what happened so we just saw mr fuji there it always was kind of funny to me that, uh, you know, that you usually were supposed to have a manager because he was going to be your mouthpiece, but Mr. Fuji wasn't the greatest on the mic either. I think it was more just for his uh, diabolical uh, means that he used in the ring, but uh, I don't know. Berserker, you could cut a promo. You know, he was uh berserker. He, you know, as he was part of that group from Minneapolis, all those guys, uh, you know, who uh, were part of that Robbinsdale high school. And I'm, I'm, you know, he was that that group, you know, John Nord. And uh, it's just incredible. All those guys that came from there, from that, that high school. Kurt Hennig, and, you know, all these guys, uh, one after another, from the Minnesota area. And it was uh, just amazing. But uh, he was a... I don't know what they're putting in the food there, in the water, but, uh, boy, some monsters came out of uh, Minnesota. I'd like to get him on the podcast. We've been working to try and get a hold of John Norton. I would love to get him on, so that's a guy that we're still working on guys. Look at these replays, huh? Now, you think about at that time when uh where we were with with television production and I've said this many times that you know, this was state of the art. This was uh cutting edge uh, video production. And Kevin Dunn and those guys and and uh you know, Kevin was was just the producer then. He was producing these shows but those guys were really clever and they used everything they had. Uh, whatever it was if they needed a new toy, they saw something the network was using they got it. So it was uh, you know pretty amazing. Oh look at here another chance to promote something the WWF fan club <laughs> right this whole this whole show was a gigantic promotional tool and it was also to get you to. The arenas for all those house shows that were going on across the country. So many, many, many different revenue streams that the WWF had going at the time. And here, as promised, is that interview, Mean Gene Okerlund. And a bunch of little warriors on stage. Yeah. And he did Used to light up those arenas That's all he had to do Was show up Shake those ropes And uh, And the, the The folks were Satisfied Wow What a specimen And remember those dolls Remember those Wrestling buddies They called them so this is all part of an angle that they had going with uh, Sid Justice. And another opportunity to plug Coliseum Home Video out this Thursday. As he comes in, takes out Papa Shango, where he's going. Where do you think he's going? Yep, right out of the ring. the warrior. <laughs> he didn't have to say much, right? They're still trying to figure out what it was that he said, but it didn't matter. And then we get to where we're really going here. an Alliance, a warrior and Hulk Hogan, And who knows what uh, really could have happened with that if uh, Jim didn't uh, <clears throat> mess that up <laughs> see <laughs> simple dialogue here I don't think they'd let them touch. Uh, they would let they let uh, superstars touch children anymore like this. They wouldn't let them lift them up on a stage. <laughs> they look real comfortable there too. It's just <laughs> like. Yeah, all the fifty one hundred people. I don't know exactly what the attendance was, but that's what that uh, arena held, and uh, you know it was a packed house. And when they had the, you know, especially when we're doing a TV taping, you know, um, it was it was easy uh, at least at that point. Especially a house that size, but when you gonna, you had you know you had uh, Warrior there that night. You had the Legion of Doom was there. I mean, you had everybody was there. But what people didn't realize is that when you went to these TV tapings, it was a long, long night. I think I mentioned that earlier. But, you know, and they would usually be on a school night. It wasn't on a weekend because these guys had to be at these house shows. So they would do TV tapings like Monday and Tuesday every three weeks. So these kids would be out on a school night and it would start, you know, they'd, start off, we'd probably have dark matches starting as early as 6 p.m. or something. And these would go on, let's say, that Warrior was in the the, uh, the main event because they did advertise these as, as uh, house shows. And people wanted to see the Ultimate Warrior and whoever the superstar is going up against, right? Well, it might be midnight before they got, because we had so many matches to get in there because we needed all that content you're shooting. Remember, you're shooting stuff not just for superstars and challenge, but you're also shooting these matches that we would use for coliseum home video and whatever else we had going on. Uh, these they shoot. Uh, we had to get all the guys' interviews done for the event center, so it was just a ridiculously long day for everybody. Uh, the, the The talent they would be there basically all day long, and then. Uh, you know, they'd be doing all their promos and that kind of thing, and then they'd have to wrestle that night. So it was, uh, and then get back on the road. It wasn't like they'd wrap up these days and get to go home. They would go out just to do the house shows. And here we see the model Rick Bartell facing Red Tyler. Hmm, I wonder where he got Red from. Yeah, let's plug the the magazine, and then of course there's that was another revenue stream, the magazine, the WWF magazine. So these these matches were, uh, you know, did did a number of things for the for the talent. I mean, they profiled them in front of these people. Uh, It would get give them a chance to promote whatever else they had going on, sell some magazines sell merchandise, and sell those upcoming house shows. Like all these matches, you look at them. Minute 49, minute 48. These were just, you know, quick. Get them over, get them out there. Have them squash the guy. Submission. It's, uh, Martel, uh, in, in the notes here, says he was feuding with Tatanka at the time. But that was pretty interesting that they didn't mention anything uh, in this show. So usually that would tell me that either uh, something, maybe there was an injury or something with Tatanka, maybe they weren't sure he was going to be able to make those dates, but they didn't mention it. So it was just an opportunity to put him over, which they did. See, there we go. WrestleMania 8. <laughs> Where are we now? <laughs> wow. So this is a clip from the one of the Coliseum Home Videos. Uh, obviously, I hosted this one. And uh, this is a little plug. You know, this, this is just giving you an idea if you go and you rent or purchase this tape. This is just some of the stuff you get to see. Wow, that's pretty good. Yeah, I'm even on the stage here. God, they did keep me busy. That guy in back does look like... Uh, Brian knobs. <laughs> God, you would, you would need to get tested back then. All right. Carrie Von Eric comes out as the Texas tornado. And, uh, man, he had a presence about him. And if you know anything about the history of the von Erics and you know uh, just how popular they were, of course, they were uh, incredible celebrities in, uh, in Texas. but uh, it tortured soul even then. And uh, you hear the stories about you know that uh, the, the issue he had with his foot having lost a great portion of it in a motorcycle accident. But, you know, most people had no idea. It was a very well-kept secret. But you watch this guy perform, and he had a special boot made, and you could not tell. The way he could move in the ring was just incredible. Uh, You you talk about uh, just incredible athleticism. I mean... People who lose a toe often have trouble with balance. Imagine losing half your foot and then trying to be able to perform at this level. Uh, it just shows you what an incredible athlete that Carrie Von Eric was. Hmm. Wow. Well. Kerry even had issues then. As you uh, talk about there, he had been out for a bit. But now, see, I know you're thinking about Now you're watching a lot closer uh, when you get a chance to see him perform in the ring. And maybe you knew about the issue with his, his foot. But, you know, you can't help but watch and just see if you could detect anything that uh, was off. And you did see once in a while you would. But if you didn't know it, if somebody didn't tell you, you would have no clue. You had no clue. And a lot of people never did. They never did. But such a sad ending to to his life. So the Texas tornado destroys Warren Bianchi there. (laughs) But just, uh, it's it's just too bad. Like I said, they they mentioned, and I don't really want to get into it, but he had been out for a brief period of time and had come back. Oh, boy. Who remembers this? Body stars. And uh, I, I want to do a, an episode on, uh, you know, I did one early on. But uh, uh, we want to get on one of the guys from the from the uh, WBF, the World Bodybuilding Federation, and really get into it. But uh, man, a lot of money went away with that boy. A lot of money went away <laughs> was was uh, went down the drain with that. But it was you know Vince was a visionary, and his idea was that he was going to changed the world of bodybuilding. He was going to give these guys all gimmicks and they were going to uh, be like wrestlers and bodybuilding would become very popular because of this. And the bottom line on that was that he wanted to get into supplements. That's where Joe Weider, who was the king of bodybuilding at the time, as far as, you know, uh, being and having a business and, and running really the world of bodybuilding. Uh, that's where they made all their money was supplements. It's sold through, uh, the magazines and that kind of thing. But, uh, Vince wanted to take, remember IcoPro and you used to see these, uh, banners in this, in these, uh, at these house shows. But we'll, uh, I can't wait. One day we're going to do one. We'll really get to do an episode and, and, uh, get one of those guys on and really get into it. But this was, uh, you know, an interesting, uh, tag team duo for a while. Money, Inc., IRS, Microtundo, and, uh. Of course, Ted DiBiase, the Million Dollar Man. Everybody, everybody always hates the tax man, right? So it wasn't uh, <laughs> not a not a whole bunch of heat, right? Ted DiBiase, just uh, what you know, one of the greatest ever. Okay, but this is a really you know, this is a good match. I mean, Jim Powers, you know, of course was a, 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 you know, a a superstar, uh, you know, and and was involved in tag team competition. So they're going to let him get, uh, you know, get a little business done in there before he doesn't get completely squashed. And Buck Zumhoff is in there now. Okay, so here's the angle. Typhoon and earthquake. You know, and you talk to Fred Ottman, uh, Typhoon there, and we've had him on the program before, and uh, I've gotten to know him quite well because we... uh, did a few shows together, uh, appearances together in the last few years. And he's just a great guy. But it's it, he talks about, you know, that that super uh, mullet that he had. And he was prematurely gray. So he had to dye his hair all the time. And he hated it. <laughs> so uh, they made quick work, though, of uh, Jim Powers and Buck Zumhoff. And let's go to the event center. So they you know they, they, they the way they planned these shows out that it was you know they made sure everything was very coordinated. so you see me coming out of the uh, you know out of that match, and I refer to that match. So that was, you know, I mean, they did, they were really uh, conscious about what was going on. And that was, like I said, that was just a generic, but for every one of those, that third event center, I would refer to that match between uh, IRS, you know, with Money, Inc. So it was all about being consistent. You know, you wanted it all to make sense and flow together. And here we are with uh, Owen Hart. It always pains me to watch interviews with Owen. Uh he was just such a great guy and and, and every encounter that I ever had with him he was just such a an awesome person. It wasn't I wasn't the victim of uh you know any ribs anything of any serious note but uh boy a lot of other people were <laughs> Oh, Jango! Mooney was so clever. Oh, my goodness. How does he... <laughs> this is kind of a scary character. Didn't you guys... Uh, I I really liked it. I thought it was uh, pretty cool. But didn't last very long. <laughs> Ooh! See, everybody had their their logos in the back where they had all these made up. That uh, these guys are all on green screens, and they would be able to put any background they wanted to back uh, uh, behind the superstar. I have no idea what that was. Was that supposed to be Papa Shango throwing something at me? I don't know. (laughs) Oh, man. We tried. We tried to make it work. All right. Proposed matchup. You know, I know it was a work, but God, Paul Bearer always gave me the creeps. The really fleshy hand. I mean, he was a he was a legit Undertaker. Ooh. Never had Undertaker say too much back then, but it was effective. <laughs> How can he make his eye do that? That was kind of cool, don't you think? Look. See, now you had a lot to look forward to the next week, right? Sergeant Slaughter, special interview with the Justice, and Ric Flair. The Arr, under diger. How did he not lose his voice? Vince just screamed and screamed and screamed. <laughs> All right. So, uh, what'd you think? Did you enjoy that episode? I did. That was cool. And it's been a while since I've seen an entire episode. We'll do more, and I'll tell you more behind-the-scenes stuff as uh, we went along. I would really like to get a hold of one of those episodes, but with the specific, um, uh, you know, with 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 a specific event center, like an event center that had uh you know, with whatever, me plugging a city. And then you could really see how they would set these up. You know, I would, uh, it would, whatever the storyline was, uh, it would be both those interviews that I throw to would be, you know, one side of that encounter and then the other side, which made it a lot more, you know, uh, made a lot more sense. And they could be specific about, if it was a big market, they would talk about, uh, you know, I'll meet you at the garden. But as I had talked about before, what was uh, brilliant about the event center is that uh, they could lighten the load of these guys because prior to the event center, before that came along, these guys would have to do specific uh, you know, uh, promos for every single venue that they were going to. Well, once they had the event center come along, that was my job. My job was to tell people, where it was going to be happening, when it was going to be happening, what time it was going to be happening, and then I would list off the entire card. Whereas before that, Gene would do these long interviews and he would have to do all that within that um, interview and they'd have to do each one of those specifically. This way, for a lot of these markets, these guys could just cut general promos that were uh, you know, specifically talking about that that storyline, that encounter that was coming up. And... Also, what we would do with these is that I could, we might start four weeks out, and I'd say, you know, in four weeks, uh, you know, we're going to be at the uh, Rosemont Horizon in Chicago, Saturday night, 7.30, Hulk Hogan, you know, and and I would, do, I would list that off, and then the next week, it'd be three weeks away, and then it would be uh, just a couple of weeks away, folks, get your tickets now, and then it would be this Saturday night, and it was really uh, you know, uh, a, an effective way because it still made it, uh, you know, specific to that market. It was still customized for that market, but it, you know, lessened the load of the guys that would have to do that and an announcer to do that because uh, they could move all these parts around and make it happen. And uh, that was, that was I really think the event center was was brilliant that way. And if something went wrong, you know let's say one of the guys got hurt what's happened or the guy got let go or something bad they did they got arrested or something well they could call me and i could redo that market which happened a lot and uh, every week there'd be something where i would probably have to redo and remember this guy this superstar would be uh, going to say you know eight different cities Well, I would have to redo each one of those because he wasn't going to be on the card. and if he was a, you know, big card guy. So it was really intense. And, uh, I won't lie to you, we'd sit in that chair for hours and hours and hours. But superstars was, it was a a great concept. Both of those shows and wrestling challenge was too. And, uh, maybe we'll get some of those we can do down the road, but, um, you know, Superstars was just a very unique uh, promotional tool. And remember, as I said before, we started watching that episode. That's exactly what it was. Because the uh, the main focus was getting people to these house shows. And of course, and building up to our pay-per-views at the time. But um, this is how the guys made their money. They were paid Through the gates of these houses, it's 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 of course different now because WWF has or WWE I should say has many other revenue streams. They have um, you know gigantic television deals, and these guys are all now under contract. It was not like that back then in the early days. These guys made their money, and that's why Vince was able to pay them their money from these gates and the other money, everything else with merchandise. Uh, Initially, those guys weren't getting uh, you know money from that. Uh, Hulk changed that, Jesse Ventura changed that, Uh, you know, and others that came along, but um, that's how he paid them, and then the world changed. But anyway, I hope you guys have uh, really enjoyed this episode of uh, Network Classics here, PTSM, this uh, episode of, of Superstars of Wrestling, or WWF Superstars as it became, but we'll keep them coming. So uh, I hope you enjoyed it. Until next time, I'm Sean Mooney, and I am out. Thanks for listening.